On our latest episode, we welcome professional footballer Adam Dawson, who talks to us openly about his career to date and the struggles he has faced along the way. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and also look out for us on our other social media channels. Good evening, Adam. Um, thank you for taking yeah. the time to speak to us today, mate. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've just uh, got back from doing a little shopping trip. So, you know, I've just been getting all the groceries in and all the food in. So it's uh, been a good day today. Sun's been all right. So I had the little one's birthday yesterday as well. So oh, um, we're just trying to stay active with the little one and make her have a good day. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been, it's been quite good, quite productive. So, I was yeah, just all good. about to ask, like, how, how are you and the family during, during lockdown? Uh, it sounds like you've got yourself a, your hands full. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. It's It's been good because you get to spend that time that you don't really get to spend. Um, so, you know, it's a bit hard, obviously, trying to keep the little one entertained all the time because they're 100 mile an hour around your feet. But, you know, it's been good. We've been, we have been going for little walks and stuff like that and trying to go out as much as we can, but obviously doing things properly and, it's just been um, it's been good to spend time, you know, with the family and Mrs. is working from home as well, so yeah. kind of all together. So no, it's been good. It's okay. been all right. Good stuff, buddy. Just for those who, who may not be aware, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into sort your current playing situation and what what is? Yeah, no, yeah. So I'm at Macclesfield at the minute. Um, it's been a bit of a mad couple of months, obviously, with everything that's been going on. Um, I've had a Tough ride, I'd probably say, at Macclesfield, to be honest, since I signed last January, it was. Um, I signed from, I was at Telford, Chester, and then I signed from Macclesfield, and then I couldn't play for Macclesfield for six months because it was obviously the third club rule, which I had nothing, I didn't know anything about, obviously, coming from a non-league side, and I didn't think that mattered because you can play for as many non-league clubs as you want. Um, and obviously, then I was tied down for six months. And then I got offered a new deal in the summer, signed that, and then they had an embargo put on them. So then there was about three or four of us who, who, who couldn't play until, you know, the owner had obviously paid the outstanding debt or whatever. Um, so I've had a bit of a tough run. Mentally, I've probably been in, I'll be honest with you, had a tough time, had a really tough time, had really tough. Um, so going through all that, as much as I tried to stay kind of heads on it, you know, it was just a really struggle. We wasn't getting paid on time. We was going months and, you know, we was getting paid late. We weren't getting paid full wages. And it was just such a difficult time. Um, and to be honest, probably, you know, this situation has probably made me just sit back. It's kind of like where the world is just kind of froze. Everyone's doing the same thing. So there's no, like, pressure. Yeah. So it's kind of opened my eyes in a sense of where I want to go, what I want to do. Um and it's given me the chance to kind of sort myself out mentally and sort myself out because I was in a bit of a dark place. Um, I was struggling a lot. And, you know, I started seeing a counsellor and stuff like that. And, you know, it helped me out loads. And now I'm in a position where I'm just focused, like I'm, I'm looking forward rather than worrying about what's happening. Mm -hmm. Kind of got myself sorted. And, and now I'm on a good track to go into whatever happens now in football and, you know, see how long it takes to to get back going and if the season's going to finish. So it's kind of just good to have this time. I know it's a horrible time, but for myself, it's been a good time because I can just sit back and just evaluate, you know, evaluate, if that's how you say it. <laughs> I'm not so clever with words. Yeah, we've just basically just sit, sit back, look look at everything in a different perspective and just kind of gather well, you know, gather my head in a sense and 
you know, it's been good for me. Obviously, it's not been good for other people, but for me, it's just been a good eye-opener time to just take a step back, think about things and, and see where we go from there. So It's, it's good, good you're in a good place now, Yeah. Say, with the environment that's going on. It, it could be could be having a negative effect, but I think, you know, myself included, time and other guests that we spoke to spend time with the kids and family that you may not see because of the hectic yeah, lanes of life and, you know, it, it is good to hear that you, you're sort of in a good place. Yeah. Is, mate. Yeah, no, it, it, was just, it was just tough. Like, I don't really want to say too much because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to get in, into trouble, but to be honest, my contract's up anyway and I can't, you know, but it's just it's, it's just hard. Can't really say certain things, but, yeah. you know, from from where I went, from where I was and where I went to, I was expected to go and push on now, get back going, get back going. I've had all these clubs and, this wasn't my fault. This whole situation at Macclesfield wasn't my fault. It was nothing to do with me as a person, as an attitude. Nothing to do with that because I grinded through the first six months, you know, and thought, right, let's let's just earn a deal through training and, and doing things because I can't play. I can't go out on loan. So for six months, I've got to sit here and just basically graft to earn something for next year. So I kind of just grafted and grafted and grafted and I got what I deserved. And then in the summer, signed again. And then, you know, it was other problems affecting me. So embargoes and obviously everyone knows Macclesfield struggle financially paying players. And, you know, it's just been really tough because I, I, I accumulated a lot of debt. So it was, you know, over my head with everything. Um, I had to end up going bankrupt because they wasn't paying us on time and stuff like that. You know, so uh, I needed to speak. It's a good opportunity for me to speak to you because I've not spoke about anything, not spoke about what my mental state was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's good to just get it out there because there's a lot of questions above me as well. Why is he not playing? Why is he not playing? Why is he not playing? He's been there for, you know, 15 months and he's not kicked a game, you know. And a lot of the things are just out of my control, but people don't see that from the outside. So the stuff I've been going through from what, has not been in my control, you know, it's put me through a bit of a dark time. But, you know, if anything, I see it as a good thing because it's kind of just made me um, think about things a lot more, just just mature in a, into situations of how to deal with, you know, certain things. And it's just kind of, if anything, it sounds mad, but it's kind of, it, it, it made me hit rock bottom, which I kind of needed because of where I'd been at in the last few years. And because I hit rock bottom, I went through, you know, mental, mental, really mental tough time. But because I hit rock bottom, there was only one way to go and it was up. So I had to sort myself out. So as soon as I hit rock bottom, you know, it just helped me so much. And now I'm just so positive, driven into what I'm doing with setting up, you know, my uh, my contents page on Instagram, my school tech stuff and all that stuff and what I want to do with that as a brand and as a coaching platform. And... I'm eager just to kind of go and do what I want to do nowadays. So I'm just really looking forward to, you know, this whole pandemic closing off and we can get back outside and do stuff. So it's been a bad journey, but it's turned out good in a sense. So I'm on the up. Well, I mean, I can certainly empathise with you about the, the situation at Maxfield. Um, you know, those who, who know me know I spent nine months there and sort of yeah. with, the, with the youth sides. But um, it, it was certainly frustrating not knowing if and when you were going to get paid and you know yeah i think the less we we sort of speak about that um the better and yeah if you want yeah i think like you said you're just going to record it anyway so whatever you want to put in and 
you know, you use it as you want. So it's all good like that. Don't worry about, you know, not putting stuff in. I'm fine with whatever you want to put out. So. No. Appreciate that. Let, let's, let's go back to the bit of the positive time then. Let's go back to the start of yeah. your career. Um, when did yeah. you just realise there was, there was interest in you and, and you might have a real chance of being signed as a professional footballer? I think when I was about nine or ten, I was just playing at Seedfield, which is a local, like, you know, normal side by mine. And um, I always had a few calls from scouts and stuff like that, but it was my best friend's dad who was the manager of the team. Okay. And he always said to me, you don't want to go too young, don't go too young. So I just kept playing till I was about 12, maybe, 11, 12, another couple of years. And then I had trials everywhere. And um, I ended up, because I live near Giglane, I'm, I've always grew up, you know, watching Bury and supporting Bury. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got offered to go to Bury and trial at Bury at like 11, 12. So I took that opportunity, got a contract there. And then it kind of just went, on from there really started doing well for Berry, and then at 14 about 14 15 you know I, I remember I, you might have the question I think you might have the question so I don't know how you want me to go no, on with it so. you roll with it I mean obviously the question I got you, you joined Liverpool for a reported £100,000 yeah. 14 and, and turned down Man City what, what was the decision to go to Liverpool over Man City do you know what? I'm a City fan as well, so it's it's a bit bizarre. But I think just the whole situation, because I'll come home from school one day and my mum sat me down and I'm a team, she went, you're not going training tonight. And she kind of tripped me. She was like, you're not going training tonight. And I was obviously like, why? Why am I? I'm sat there eating my pasta thinking I'm going to training. She said, oh, no, you've got, you've got to go to the club because you've got to have a meeting. And I'm like, what do you mean? And then straight away, I'm thinking I'm getting released. I'm panicking. I'm thinking, I'm 14. I'm thinking, oh, they're going to get rid of me. And... um I remember I went. It was a uh, went there, sat in an office with um, was it Ryan Kidd? Ryan Kidd, I think it was. Who right. used to be at Barry? Yeah, Ryan Kidd, is it? And um, they basically just got sat down and got told that like six clubs had come in for me, um, and they'd all like fighting to kind of take me off and, and basically give me advice of what I should do, who do, I, where do I want to go, and stuff like that. And there were six clubs, and I can't remember all six clubs, but there was Celtic, United, Liverpool, City, Blackburn, Bolton. Wow. And there might have been someone else. And he just basically told me to narrow it down to three clubs and obviously not make a decision of where I want to go. Um, why didn't I go to each one for a week? So then I ended up just going to each club for a week. Okay. Um, I went to United first. Um, and there were Pogba there, Jesse Lingard, Rival Morris and all them there. And then the week after that, I went to City and I was so head up. Like, I went to City and I loved it. I did, I loved it. I went there and they was trying to make me sign straight after that week and they wanted me to go to a night tournament, like the night tournament they had coming up at the weekend. So they wanted me to go to that and I was like, Mum, I want to I wanna sign for City, I want to sign for City, I want to sign for City. And then on the way home from training, I was telling my mum to tell Liverpool that I didn't want to go to Liverpool on Monday because I wanted to play at this night cup for City on the weekend and I want to sign for City. And Malcolm Elias at the time, I'm not sure where he is now, but he moved to Fulham after I went to Liverpool. And he, my mum had texted him to say, look, he kind of wants to go to City. And Malcolm rang my mum whilst he was on the way home. And he was speaking 
to me and to my mum and he was just basically saying look just come just come just come and I was like so head on like I wanted to go to City yeah. and I went to Liverpool and I'm not being funny it was probably the best week I've one of the best experiences I've probably ever had to be honest it was so good like they brought in a load of other lads it's like they're doing a trial thing so they're bringing all these foreign players and all the best players from down south and I was kind of just going to see how it was I wasn't on trial I was just going in with that mix to see how it was and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And then after that, I just ended up signing at Liverpool. But I was so I was so head on on signing at City. And obviously, I went there for a week, and then and that's kind of how that came about. Really, just signing at Liverpool after that week. So, age fourteen, fifteen, you know, a reported fee for you at that age. Did you feel any pressure as a as a, as a kid almost to succeed? Well, I didn't really know how much it was until. Obviously, a few years after, yeah. I never knew. Um, I never knew. And um, it was kind of, I knew I'd gone for something, but the expectation wasn't, as a kid going to from Berry to Liverpool, you kind of just think like the world's like just changed. You go in there and you can smell the, the smell of an academy compared to going into Berry. Like, I know it sounds mad, but there's like a, there's a smell like the same at United and at City. There's, there's like this, it's a weird smell, but you know it's like a big. It's it's like a big club. It's weird. I always always smell it. It's weird, and um, it was just it 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 was just um, going into them places where it was just like you felt you belonged there because they made me feel like that. So going there, it just felt so so good, and I just didn't really bother about what had happened. I was just so buzzing that I'd signed for Liverpool, and I was just so excited to crack on going. But it, it, it was it was a few months after I'd signed for the club where it, for Liverpool where it got a bit difficult because I've never really known my father. He's only pops in and out of my life like since when when I was eighteen. But before this, I'd never met him. And taking me away from home, obviously, and putting me up, taking me out of school, taking me away from my friends at such a young age, and I've always struggled with that because it's just been my mum and my sisters at home. So. I didn't expect that when I'd signed, but then after you know a few months of travelling and commuting, they decided they wanted to put me up, and it was hard on my mum travelling up there all the time. Um, and I think everything just got a bit too much for me. And then obviously, 15, 16, that's when I started to feel the expectation of things because I was the only one at 15 going in with the youth team full-time every day, being taken away out of school. And I started to just feel because obviously I, I was always small so I felt a bit unphysical and stuff like that and it, it just downed on me a bit and then being away from home affected me massively and I think if you look at my career and how many clubs I've had I think just I think that had a massive part on you know on me on me as a person going into the future of how much the expectations levels were for me in the end to progress through the ranks from being sold from burying that much money at a young age. I think it did affect me in the long run. I mean, ju just from your personal experiences, obviously, would you say at 15, 16, there's, there's too much pressure to make it? I mean, look, like, look at that experience there. 15, 16, I, moved away. I, I don't think they, they don't um, prepare you to... They, the problem is that they don't prepare you for when you fall off or when you don't make the grade. Mm -hmm. So they give you everything, sponsorship deals, boot deals, you're going to be the next big thing. They blow you up to be this next big thing. And 
You know, everyone's looking at you like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then when they drop you, it's kind of like you pick yourself up now on your own. There's no, well, that's what I experienced, but I still hear from a lot of other, you know, kids who've been at big clubs and they experience it now. And I just don't feel like, obviously, the, the, um, they prepare you for what, what might happen. They just want to get your pen to paper. You're the biggest kid and you're the best thing at that age. So they want you under the books. But then as soon as, you know, a few years have gone by or you're not making the grade for whatever reasons, they just kind of just drop you to pick yourself up. And I think at that age, it's so, so important because you don't know how to deal with it. And I think that's where a lot of lads don't go back into football, even though they should keep being persistent at it and drop a few levels, go to a Macclesfield youth team, Berry youth team, you know, sort of things like that and go somewhere like that. But I think it affects them that much and the people around them say, oh, he got released from Liverpool or City. It kind of affects you a lot in that sense. Yeah. So I think that's why a lot of the players do go out of the game because they haven't got the platform to fall onto when they do get dropped, in mm. a sense. Yeah. Um, and they need the, the, the support in terms of mentally, like how do you recover from that and how do you plan on making steps to bounce back from that? Because at 16 years old, it's a, you know, you know, all you want to do is play football. It's your world and everyone thinks they're going to be the next Ronaldo and be the next Messi. But when it hits you as if to say you're not going to be or one opinion says you're not going to be that person, mm-hmm. at 15 and 16, it, it, it will affect you massively. It will. And yeah. I just think there needs, to be, there just needs to be a platform of something when they do fall off or they don't make the grade for whatever reason. They're not big enough, strong enough, which is pathetic, but... You know, they just need that guidance to help them get back on the feet and and keep going at it, keep keep being persistent at it. Yeah, I think again, it's just my personal opinion. I think when the term "not big enough or strong enough" is bandied about, and and I don't know if you saw it recently about uh, Tyrone Mings. You know, he was really... yeah, that's why I yeah, that's why I said that then. I think because I read, was reading that the other day. To be fair, yeah, released by Southampton, I think, for not being big enough, and then currently six foot three. Is it something like that, Villa now? That's what I... That's what um, I mean. You know, it's mental, but they invest so much, don't they? So yeah, again, there's a there's a lot put into, as you say, the, the next big thing in that player to get him under the books. And I do think a little bit of care needs to come, you know, and afterwards and the move back to Bury, um, you know, that, that followed before release at the end of the scholarships. So how how are you feeling at that time after the early potential at Liverpool to then find yourself released and going into Bury? That's the maddest thing because when I went, it was literally because we went, I was there for like, what was it, two years? And I'd been so taken away from home. We went, and then in that summer of the second season, I was there, in that summer, we didn't really have a break, so I couldn't really go home. Then when, when the season had finished, we ended up going over to Villarreal and Tenerife to play two tournaments. So, it was Rodolfo Borrell as well, who was our manager at the time, who was obviously assistant to Pep. And um, we went over there. We won both tournaments, you know. It was unbelievable. But then when I came back and the season was going into pre-season and into starting, obviously I had not really much time at home and I wanted to be at home. And so what we arranged was is that I'd go back to Bury and train with Bury for a week because it's on my doorstep. And I could basically go back to Liverpool after that. So, anyway, I do one training session with the youth team at Bury, and then they've got a game against Accrington the day after. 
So obviously I'm going to play in that because I'm with Berry for a week just to be at home and stay fit. And Alan Nell and Chris Brass come down and I played in this game, had a really good game. And then after that game, um, they basically said that they wanted to put me up with the first team for the rest of that week. And then obviously me being a Berry lad and being a local lad and all my mates going to Gig Lane to watch Berry every week and me training with the first team, the team I grew up watching and stuff like that. It was massive for me at 16 years old and to be on and was getting put on the bench on the Saturday for the first team. So it kind of all happened in the space of a week. I was only supposed to go home, you know, and just train with the youth team and then go back to Liverpool. But then I was training with the first team from Wednesday onwards and then I was on the bench on the Saturday. And then I kind of said I wanted to stay a bit extra. So I ended up staying at Berry for literally another week because it was like, it was just turns, it was just turning going into my first year YT. So it was that sort of time um, in pre-season and into the season. And um, I ended up just saying I wanted to stay at Berry. And Alan Nill was put me on bench. I was on the bench all that season with Berry and I was all in 16, 17. And it was just massive for me yeah. at that age. It was just a big thing for me. And then, so obviously I ended up saying to Liverpool that, moving away from home was affecting me massively which it was and I was so happy just being with the first team environment at Berry and you know kind of being looked upon in the area I come from and I'm that age and I'm involved in my local club it was just big for me and then the second season obviously I had time for Berry that season I got out of my Liverpool contract and rather than signing a YT there I ended up taking it on at Berry and then that first year I was on bench all year for Berry and then Second season, I just got dropped like an axe. I come back pre-season, second year YT, I was back in the youth team dressing room. I was putting goalposts up. I don't get me wrong, I know that's what you you do, but I'd I'd swap that because of what I had at Berry. That that time I spent at Berry, I kind of thought that right, that this is what I want. Doing this with a first team is going to propel me more than playing in, uh, you know, first year YT team at Liverpool and stuff like that. And I kind of just got dropped. I got hit like, with an axe and just basically dropped. And I kind of just hit rock bottom. I just went under. I couldn't physically take it. I couldn't physically take going from Liverpool where you get there in the morning, you got your breakfast, everything. Everything is just so, you know, you looked after so much. Mm-hmm. And then going to bury it and being put with the youth team and just being basically carrying goalposts down Gig Lane Road. I remember it carrying them from Gig Lane, carrying them all the way down to Lower Gig where the first team chain had to put all their stuff up, put, carry all the cones, the balls, everything, post, pin them all up, set it all up. And then where we train, we'd have to run from where we train about a mile away, a mile or two miles away, train there. But then we had to train and get back for when the first team had finished so all the equipment wasn't left on its own while they all walk up to the ground to get changed. So you can imagine me going from that at Liverpool to doing that after a first year of being on the bench for the first team and being promised this and everything and all this lot by, you know, uh, the gaffer and stuff like that. And then just basically being dropped into that, it just crushed me. Like, it crushed me. I went off the rail. I literally went off the rail. And then... Somehow, I don't know how I've done it. I've done it throughout all the clubs I've had. Somehow, I was still playing in the youth team and still standing out, still doing well, because obviously I dropped from a level to play at that level. And then I got offered a contract at Wigan, 
when they was in Premier League. Obviously, it was with the uh, going into like their YT reserve sort of thing. Sorry, no, going into their reserves because I'd just finished my second year scholar. And it was under Roberto Martinez. And, you know, I kind of just went in there and I just felt the same thing I did at Liverpool. Like, this is where I feel I should be. This is this is it. Going in, everything's set up. Everything's there for you. You can do extra, you know. You can use the gym. You can do what you want. And i done really well my first year. I got off another year. And I went on loan to Accrington. Um, had a spell there. And then kind of just... Do you know what? I've had that many clubs. I don't even know where I went after that. I think I ended up out of football after that. Yeah. Ended up out of football. Um, I think I went to somewhere like Nelson. I think it was like last level of semi-professional. I think it was. Yeah, I was going to say um, the the thing that I, I'd sort of picked up was you, the contract was mutually terminated at, at Wigan. Um, yeah. And you know, later admitted it was a, it was a mistake. The question I was going to ask is, what, what were you going through at that time of your career to make such a, a big decision to say, do you know what, cancel it, I'm, I'm coming out of Wigan? I think, because I remember signing that second year at Wigan when I got offered the second year contract at Wigan. I went to DW Stadium and actually sat in an office with Graham Barrow and Roberto Martinez. And they put me on, basically, it was like a rolling contract for a month or a month or so like that. And it was literally just because of looking back now and me sorting myself out, I was never right there mentally because of everything that had happened. It had affected me so much. But until seeing a counsellor recently and hitting rock bottom and the cycle of clubs that I've had where I've gone from low lowest platform in English football and then jumping straight back up to a Leicester or whatever, mm. I've, I've been in that cycle where I've been there, drop down, drop down jump straight back to the top, drop down, drop down. It's happened three times and it's the same cycle and I think it's just because of everything that happened at such a young age affected me and I didn't realise it was, you know, I didn't realise that mentally I was kind of just, I wouldn't say not all there, but just couldn't cope with certain things, you know, like my, I just couldn't cope with things because of where I'd been and what I had and then mentally I just couldn't gather can't really explain it properly, but I just couldn't, looking back, I just couldn't think of how to deal with things. I wasn't prepared for everything that happened so fast at a young age and moving away from home and, you know, my dad popping into my life at 18 years old when all this was going on at Berry and stuff like that after not seeing him and stuff like that. It just kind of just messed me up completely. And, you know, people don't see why I've had this sort of chapters of football clubs and football clubs. But I've actually, looking back, like I've had so many like downfalls where things have affected me. But at the time, I've not, you know, understood what's been affecting me. I've not realised why I'm feeling some type of way. And obviously, over time, I've might have been like a ticking time bomb on saying the wrong thing because mentally, I'm, I'm, I wasn't in a in a good place. But without realising that, do you know what I mean? If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so, so. In terms of that, just the support mechanisms from from the clubs you were with weren't weren't there exactly. And I was too scared. And this is what I was saying to me. I I was too scared to speak mm-hmm. about my problems. And I think that now is something that I'd love to speak out about because, in a sense, even though I was going through all that stuff at Macclesfield and going through everything that I've went through, 
And every manager that's always said in pre-season when he gathers his new players and goes, don't be scared to knock on my door, speak to me about anything. Now, every player has always thought, well, if I go and speak to him about a certain thing, is he going to drop me? Because he thinks mentally that I'm not prepared to play because obviously there's something else on my mind. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of how it is. So I think growing up and going through all the problems that I've had and all the crap I've had to deal with, me personally, has just been too afraid to go in because football was my escapism as a, as to get away from everything, you know, like everything that was going on, going into training and playing football was my release to just kind of forget about everything. And I think knocking on a door, that had only made me feel worse because I was too scared to think, right, am I going to get dropped? Am I not going to play? Am I going to be left out because of what I've just told him, you know? And all that over all these years has kind of just hit me to a point, like for the last 18 months where I've hit it and just been like, don't care no more like I'm I'm clean I'm good now like I'm good so now moving on I'm positive but yeah. that's the effect of like you said the mechanisms and the support of you know people trying to speak about things and going to managers and stuff like that they say it's there but is it a trick question do you know what I mean is it a trick question and that's you don't you, you never know and that's why I don't think people speak about the problems enough because they're too scared to let it affect what's going on on the pitch and if they're going to play or not. I mean, the, the I think that's a massive factor. I, I, I completely agree. There's been a, a massive uprise in, in a lot of high-end professionals and m many good people in the game stating that, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't treat footballers as footballers. We should treat them as people who play. Yeah. And, and, and we don't know, you know, what's inside somebody's head. So we, we need oh. to understand and help. And, and I think, you know... I don't want to speak down, but it seems that those support mechanisms weren't there for you at a younger age and everything that you're experiencing. You know. And that, that, that's what's affected me and my career because I know, you know, I know I've got a lot of ability with a football and can do most things with a football. But I think from a young age, if I was put, you know, guided in the right direction in terms of how to deal with things emotionally, yeah. I think I'd... I'd have, I'd have gone on and done, you know, I'm not saying I'd be the best player in the world, but I wouldn't have had all the clubs I've had and I think I'd have been more stable as a player and as a person. But now, over them years, it looks like when everything's got tough or when I've not been picked to play or certain things like that, it got to me and it affected me and it affected me at home because obviously football was my escapism. So if I wasn't playing, I was just getting eaten up and eaten up and eaten up and then... I was only going to tick and say something that, you know, I didn't mean. I was just so, un I was so I couldn't control how I felt because yeah. emotionally I didn't know how to channel them emotions because I never had that guidance. So I think that's a massive factor in football, and and I, and, and no matter how long football goes on, that'll always be in the back of someone's, in, you know, in a player's mind because everyone goes through stuff. I'm not saying everyone goes through problems. But going into a gaffer's door and saying, I've got problems, every football player on this planet is always nervous to walk in and say, yeah, I'm struggling with this at home, I'm struggling with that at home, blah, 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 because they will think it will affect them. Yeah. And, you know, it, I don't care what anyone says, that is in every player's mind. If they've got something struggling, they don't want nobody to know about it because they just want to be able to express themselves on the pitch and do it that way. And saying something or going and speaking to someone about it, you just feel like it might stop you from playing or 
get looked upon different, like you're not mentally prepared to play in that sort of sense. So that's probably why, like I said, that's that's definitely definitely why I've had that so many clubs and being bounced up and down, bounced up and down. And it's only been the last five months where I've kind of realised that I needed help all along, you know, and it's been the best thing I've done is speaking to someone. No, I, I mean, Luke, my, my story is completely different in terms of I, I served 12 years in the army and came oh, wow. this this world of civilian and, un, you know, unregimented and no routine. And it took me possibly three and a half years and the loss of my mum to, to even admit oh. I was struggling. And, you know, and anything I'll advise to anybody now is that, you know, speak. It's, it's been the best thing I've done. Um, yeah speaking to a professional who can help me understand what's going on in this head of mine. And you know what? It's crazy because the first session I was, I remember driving to my first counselling session and I was like, how is speaking to someone going to help? Like, how, do you know what I mean? Like, how is it going to help? And then the first session you walk away, like I only spoke to him. But then after the second, third, fourth and fifth, you just start doing things at home. And when things are happening around you at home, you start switching your mindset, not, Mm-hmm. Not, not you, because you spoke to someone about it. It kind of you switch that way, you know, like without even knowing, and you start handling things different, and you start thinking more clearer, and that's what's helped me so much. Just honest, helped me so so much. And you know what? I, I still still speak to a, my counselor now, and I'm still gonna keep speaking to him and speaking to him, because one massive factor that. My sister told me she emigrated to Australia. She's older than me, um, but she doesn't. She never had mental prob- mental health problems or anything like that. But in Australia, it's it, it's a thing that you should do. You should have a counselor, not not for marriage, just just for yourself. Like it's it's a normal thing to do to just go and speak about daily life. Like they pay to just go and speak to people about daily life because they feel it's healthy for them to just go and speak to people and get things off the chest and deal with things. And she was saying to me, like, everyone does it over here. But over here, it's kind of like, if you've got a counsellor, you've kind of, oh, he's got problems. But over in Australia, she's saying it's just a, a routine for them. Like, that's what they do over there, just to help them and, and feel better about themselves. And they do it normally. Like, it's a thing they just do over there. Um, that and it just helps. Yeah. And, and perception that you know you're weak if you if you don't well you're weak if you speak and you know i'd say you're the opposite if, you, if you're able to speak about what's going on inside your mind you, you're very strong and able to you know own up and identify that these these ways to be working around it 100 100 percent. so but yeah there definitely needs to be i know the pfa and that are trying the best to help like they're doing really good comp- campaigns with mental health and stuff like that um so, you know, and to be fair, they have helped me so, so much, the PFA. They've set me up with everything that I've needed to, you know, set up with my coaching and my business plan and stuff like that. They've given me guidance with that. They've set me up with everything. They paid for all my counselling sessions. They literally, without them, like, I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am now. Like, they rang me out of the blue more than the football club did to so just ask me if I was all right, how am I coping, how am I doing? You know, like I couldn't thank them enough. Like they've just been like, if any, like the PFA are there for everyone. 
Yeah. And as much as people just think it's just a side thing that's attached to football. It's great to hear that support is there for you. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're in a good place. It's, it's really positive to hear that. I mean, ju just going back to your career to date, you mentioned we came out of Wigan, but there was a very quick return to football in the Northwest Counties with back at Borough. Um, how did that come about? And was it just to maybe reignite a love for the game? Yeah, I just kind of just went out of football and then it, my mate was playing for that team. So I just went down training on a Tuesday, Thursday night or whatever it was. Um, ended up just wanting to play football games. So I ended up just signing there. And then I think, was it after Bake Up I went? Where did I go? I don't even know myself, to be honest. I can say it was only, it was only a short time there because from from records that I've seen, FC United yeah. saw your talent and... Um, yeah. Took you on before Barrow came in. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I went from Bake, yeah. So I went from Bake up to Nelson, and then from Nelson, you know, I played about three or four games, or maybe a few more. Went to FC United under Marja, and then after that, I went about literally a month there. I went to Barrow, and then it was a season they actually got relegated from the National League. Yeah. Um, but I was doing so well in a team that was struggling. And then, obviously, you know, I got interest from Dundee and Leicester. And when I went up to Dundee, I got late interest from Leicester was later on. I went to Dundee. I was up there for a week. And whilst I was up there, I got a phone call saying that Leicester wanted me to go down. So, obviously, I kind of just packed my bags and went up to Leicester. And, um, you know, I ended up getting a deal at Leicester and I was there for a couple of years from there. So, it's a bit mad. I'd say a bit of a whirlwind sort of season as such, you know, travelling the country. Just talk to us how Bad. how that was. I was I was kind of just chasing in my head. Like I'd come out, I'd, and then I ended up playing at the lowest form of you know football. Um, got an enjoyment back just playing with my mates, like that feeling that you had in school and stuff like that. And from then, I just kind of just kept doing well and doing well. And, um, you know, it was a bit, it, it, was, it happened so fast for me in that time. But I still at that time, I was probably thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get anything at Dundee. I'm not even going to get anything. Yeah, they're interested, but I'm not going to get anything. And then, then Leicester called when I was up there because I remember sat in a room in Dundee and I was literally just thinking, oh, did I do well today in training? I could have done better. No, they're probably not going to sign me. That's, that's just the way my head was thinking. I was so negative about because I wanted to do so well all the time. When I felt like I didn't get the best out of myself, I'd beat myself down. I'd go home, sit in the room, and I'd be panicking. I'd be texting my agents, and if you heard anything from them, they said I was, you know, decent in training, and just trying to get something because I felt like some feedback. I'd, yeah, because I was just so eating myself down all the time, and then. He texted me back and said, I'll call you in five. And I remember it. He just said, look, Leicester want you to. And I'm like, I can't believe what's got at the time. I couldn't believe myself. Because I was disappointed in myself. I'd not even been bad. But I just always want to do more. I always want to stand out so much. And when I don't stand out, that's when I kind of just used to, even if the game didn't go to plan, you know, like if you're playing a certain position and the opposition are, playing a type of game of football which just doesn't suit a certain players, you know, make it slow, physical and, you know, delay the game, just can't get on the ball and you can't play a passing game. And I'd go away 
and I'd beat myself down, even though that, that game wasn't in my control. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And I'd, I'd let it eat me up and it would literally eat me up to the point where I'd go into training and I wouldn't go into training with a mentality of, right, this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash it. I'd go into training and I'd, I'd be feeling crap about myself. Like, that's how I felt. I wouldn't be going in like, right, this week I'm going to push hard. I'm going to push harder because I, I didn't do as much as I wanted to do in the game on the Saturday. I'd just eat myself up all weekend. That It would put me in that state of mind that when I go in on Monday morning, I'm still like that guy that's sulking about the game that's gone, yeah. you know? But that's just how I was. And I didn't realise I was like that. But everyone has picked up on it. But it obviously was from the effects from younger. Yeah. Didn't realise. But it just happened so fast. The Dundee situation and then the Leicester. We played a game against Loughborough University. And then after that, well, sorry, we played Tottenham. I got about 15 minutes because it was a trialist. I got about 15 minutes and I done well um, in the 15 minutes I got. And then I started against Loughborough University in the week. Another really good game, and then after that, I got offered a contract from there. So yeah. it just, I say from the from that contract, there there was a number of loan spells, and were you just really looking to get settled and have a run of football and, and show that talent that you've got? Yeah, I think at Leicester because when I got to Leicester, it was kind of they was pumping a load of money. It's when the um, you know like the under twenty threes Champions League and all that lot started. It was yeah. when that was just starting. So they were pumping a lot of money into players to just basically do well in that Champions League sort of thing. All the big clubs were. Mm-hmm. And obviously winning the you know, the under-21s Premier League at the time was a big thing for each club as well because it was like kind of getting a bit of publicity and stuff like that. And um, I was in that from when it was starting to come out and you know the clubs was trying to kick off in it and do well in it. And... I was happy. It was good because it was competitive and I was doing really well. And then after that first year, it was like, right, I've got a second year now. What do I need to do? And obviously my agent was like, right, let's try and get out on loan and get some men's football. Um, and nothing, right, I was in and out, playing in and out. Um, and then I remember Nicky Eden, who used to play for Wigan. He was obviously our assistant manager to beat at Leicester and he kind of got, he knew the chairman at Nuneaton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of went to Nuneaton. I didn't want to go to Nuneaton because I, what, what had got to me the most at that time is that I'd been up and down, I'd been to the bottom, I'd been up and down, I'd been to the bottom. And I got back to Leicester and I was doing so well. And then they was telling me they wanted me to go on loan to Nuneaton. And obviously that was in the conference at the time. And I didn't look down on it. It was just because of the the places I've been through that such short period of time, up, down, up, down, up, down. I just wanted to just stay for a bit where I was. Do you know what I mean? Get settled. And obviously, then Nigel Pearson said, look, it'd be good for you to go there. So I ended up going there and I had a month and, you know, I was flying in the conference and I really enjoyed it. And then it got extended another month. And then I started getting interest from bigger clubs in that division and stuff like that from putting in good performances against them. And then, obviously, the whole Bristol Rovers move came about. And that was probably the best time I've probably ever had in football up to now, to date, to be honest. Um, Obviously, playing in front of 11,000 fans, starting every game, you know, putting in really good performances. I I think I 
there was an article that I counted my assists because I was, you know, I was just doing really well. Like I was just loving it. And I got like 17 assists in 24 games in that period from being on loan at Nuneaton and in Bristol Rovers. And I was flying. And I was like, my agent was saying, oh, this club's interested, this club's interested. And I was just like, you know, like just buzzing with everything. And like, like another problem which I didn't cause is I played every game up, up until that. And then because the clubs didn't sort out my loan properly and, you know, that sort of stuff, I was on loan, played more or less every game, started every game. And then it comes to the playoffs and my loan had expired and I couldn't extend it. Oh. And then they ended up getting promotion and playing at Wembley and winning at Wembley in the playoff final. And I'd have been a part of that, you know, I'd yeah. have been a part of that. But then again, something that messed up on not my control, mm. I missed out on the opportunity to play in the playoffs and play at Wembley in the final, which I probably would have played in because I was doing so well. And that kind of hit me. That, that hit me massive. I remember going to Wembley with the missus. We travelled up the night before, stayed, watched it. And, you know, I was certain that I was going to get a deal at Bristol then. I'd done so well. The fans loved me. Like, I was doing, I'd done so well. And then over the summer, I was just told, yeah, this club's interested. You've done so well. You've done so well. You're so well. So I went on holiday. And he was saying, yeah, don't, don't sign. I had managers ringing me. Don't sign there. Don't sign there. Agents telling me otherwise, this and that, don't don't sign there, don't sign there. And I got back, and it was literally a week before everyone went back in pre-season. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I need something. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Leicester didn't extend my contract, even though I'd done so well. Um, and I ended up with nothing. Ended up with nothing. Wow. And I ended up getting a call off. I remember sat in the village hotel. Um, I went to the gym and was sat by the pool in the village hotel by my and Mike Crichton. And Gary Wilde, who was, and Tim Flowers, who was running Kid of Minister, called me mm-hmm. and ended up signing there. And then in the space of seven, what was it? No, 10 games there, about seven, eight weeks. We played Tranmere. And then, you know, Gary Brabin spoke to my agent and, you know, he told me that Tranmere liked me. And then obviously that's a massive club. And I love that feeling at Bristol where, where there's 11,000 fans and such a big club, now stadium, you know, and Kidderminster, great club. Like, it's a lovely little ground. Like, it's a great, it's a proper football league club. He was, was well, Kidderminster, like, great club, really well. And, but obviously, me being away from home again, you know, I didn't have an option. Like, you know, when I left Kidderminster, I said it was because I didn't like living away from home. And obviously, in the past, it affected me. And But because I didn't have an option when I come back after being told I had this option, don't sign here, don't sign there, I come back and I had nothing. And it was a week into pre, going into pre-season, so I had to just bite of whatever was given to me. Yeah. So after that performance at Tranmere and Tranmere showing interest in me, you know, I just kind of made that move happen, went to Tranmere. And then again, I was flying at Tranmere and then I ruptured my adductor off the bone. I was flying up until November, December, ruptured that off, and then that put me out for the season. Mm. And then going through that, <laughs> with all the problems I had going on in my head and around me, which I'd not dealt with, I'd just been playing football to get over it, you know, then not playing and being set out for seven, eight months just tortured me. Yeah. And then 
after doing so well at Tranmere. And then, you know, I was only on loan all year. And then the Kidderminster situation, because I was still a Kidderminster player, but they was wanting me to drive in with a ruptured adductor to see the physio after having an operation. They was wanting me to drive in and, and you know, see see the physio and stuff like that. And I was doing it at first, but it just got too much on me. Like I was driving every day, two hours and two hours there, two hours back. And it just kind of got too much. And then I kind of agreed to just settle a figure, you know, because I was out for the season with Kidderminster. And then because I've been injured for six months, seven, eight months, obviously who's going to take me in the new season now the season's finished because I've had no game time. Mm. And there was interest, but I kind of didn't want to drop too low again like and prove myself because I'd just done Nunny and Bristol. Flying at Tranmere, got injured. And the worst thing I want to do is drop, drop down again, like again to pick myself back up because it started to become a cycle and I was just getting annoyed. I wanted stability. Yeah. And then easily called, <laughs> which is the other end of the country, but it was the only option I had. You know, it was either Southport or Eastleigh. And obviously, easily it was throwing loads of money at the time. I've been out for eight months, so I wasn't earning. I picked up a settlement figure, but you know, still being out for eight months and not receiving income, you know, it's tough. So I went and signed for Eastley. Started doing well at Eastley again. And then Tranmere didn't want to offer me a new deal, but then when I started doing well at Eastley again, you know, they they come back in for me. Well, because it was away from home. My missus got pregnant whilst I was down there at Eastleigh. So me coming back home, you know, was the thing that I felt like was the right thing to do while my missus was carrying, is be up here. And I kind of went to Tranmere and it, it just didn't work out. I don't know why, it just didn't work out. And that happens in football. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I went back to Tranmere, it just didn't work out. And I was just sat on the fence then for another year, another 18 months, just sat on the fence, trying to pick out loans and where to go. and. I don't want to drop too low, and and I, it just it, it's just that cycle that I was telling you about, which I didn't realize I was in until obviously sorted myself out. But you know, everyone looks at my CV and thinks there's something wrong with my attitude and this and that. And yeah, sometimes I did snap out, but a lot of it was just emotionally. Like I struggled, like I really struggled with the expectation of such a be the next best thing as a kid, and and not reach that heights because yeah. mentally I don't think I was ready for it I wasn't prepared and I wasn't guided for, for that sort of expectation that, as it hit me later on and and then I just felt like I was just that kid that was meant to be someone and wasn't yeah. and it, it, it hit me up and I was always chasing and then ever since then I've probably just been chasing them moments of what I had at Bristol Rovers yeah. where I was Loving football, enjoyed it so much. My performances were standing out, and you know, once you get that, and and that's it with football. When you have the good moments, you always want them moments. But there is a lot of moments that you've got to be strong about in football. To any kid that's coming up, I feel like you have to be better. You know, be patient and, and take your time and just keep working hard. And no matter what happens, just stick at it. Stick at it. But I, I just didn't know how to deal with all that stuff emotionally. And I think that's why I've had all these clubs. I can say the thing that, that stands out to me is that you clearly just wanted to enjoy a run of games and a bit of stability. But there was a lot of moves away from home. Do you think that 
that tied in with you, as you're saying, chasing, just wanting that stability has probably affected your playing chances by just wanting to do so well? Yeah, massively. But, like, and obviously I'm talking, I'm not talking thousands and thousands of millions of money like everyone else is on. But obviously there was, you know, non-league clubs even now, like in the conference and the conference north, they pay really good money for, you know, the level it is, like really good money. And I'd been out for eight months. So for easily to offer me, you know, money that I'd not been on for a while and Southport offering me a quarter of that, yeah. you know, it was just, I needed to for everything that was outside of football to that sort of stability to pay my bills, my rent and stuff like that. I needed that sort of stuff. So I had to go and do it. I had no choice. With a child on the way as well, you know. It, you well, that was after, that was literally, that was literally, you know, a couple of months after, two, three months after the time there. Um, but easily it was a great club at the time as well. Like everything was well looked after. But I just couldn't cope with being away from home. But it was a decision I had to had to take for bills I had to pay, you know. Like I couldn't you know, as you get older sometimes you you've got to think about the reality of stuff and, and, and paying the bills, you know, rather than chasing a dream and I had to for being out for so long injured. I had to go down there and it you know, it's like the Tranmere situation. Like that is such a good Tranmere, such a good club. Loved it, and I'm just gutted it never worked out the second time because the first time I was flying like like I was at Bristol for the first few times. I was flying. I loved it. The lads were great. Everything was good. Gary Brabham were class, and you know it was mint. And then after that injury, I just went through that patch where. I needed to get some sort of stability back in myself and that's why I moved back down south and the wrong decision but the right decision. Yeah. Right wrong decision for football terms, but right decision for, you know, the reality of what you know, life and pain stuff. Yeah. And then it kind of just like I said that Tramir the second time at Tramir just just didn't work out. It just didn't fit into the plans as as I was thinking I was gonna just it was a new manager and under Mickey Mellon and stuff like that and you know he's done a great job but I just didn't fit into what how he wanted to play and what he wanted and you just gotta accept that sometimes but I just found it really hard to deal with, you know. And I think from from Tram there I was just stuck. because I I was just stuck. I was contracted, I was getting paid but I was stuck. No one had taken me. Uh, the journey that I've just told you about, like this all looks on paper like I've got serious problems with myself, like my attitude and it all on paper, that's what it looks like. And I just found myself stuck. No one would touch me. And I'd gone on to Darlington, um, I think Southport as well. Um, and ended up signing at Telford recently. And I think the major thing with Telford was we were part-time. Um, so I could commute Tuesday, Thursdays, and I knew Gavin Cowan because I played with him at Nuneaton before I went to Bristol Rovers, so he knew a lot about me. And Gav's Gav's class, Gav understood me as a person, as a player. He knew where I were, and you know, emotionally, he even spoke to me before he signed that. You know, you could see that I always struggled emotionally. Like I'd be that player that if I went down the wing and and I took someone on and then my cross went over the bar rather than in the box. I'd let the whole stadium know about it because I'd fling my arms in the air and go, oh, fuck. you know? And they're the things what's 
you know, really like people have always said to my agent growing up through the past, I always show my frustrations without knowing that. I don't think it's just become such a habit that it just happens and it looks bad. But I'm not a bad person, like as people perceive, you know, like as people do. I'm not. Um, but from then, I kind of just went to Telford under Gav, done well, enjoyed it. Um, and he knew how to tick my boxes and, and get me playing and stuff like that. Um, but then I kind of, this is, I don't want to say anything bad about Gav because Gav's been class to me. And it, you know, he, when I'd, when I'd play for Gav, I'd come on for the last half an hour and I'd completely change the game. Like I'd come on and I'd do what he'd tell me to do. I'd, waste time just taking people on in the corner or if you needed a goal I'd create something by taking people on and, and that's my sort of game um, but obviously the way Gav played was a really good style of football but he had his way of playing and then I'd come on for the last 30-40 minutes and change the game sort of thing but then that started to eat me up because I wanted more game time so then even though it was going good I just wanted to play more um, and Gav you know Gav there was that that's first spell when I signed for Telford, Gav was getting the best out of me again. And I messed it up. I messed it up because I wanted to get more game time when I was actually looking really good when I was coming on for them 30, 40 minutes and I was coming on and affecting the game, which a lot of people look for, which could have took me up another level. And I just beat myself up about not playing as much as I wanted to. And then I ended up, where did I end up going then? I ended up going to, was it Chester? We've got Ch Chester. And then obviously the move Yeah, so I went to Chester after that. Um, I knew Bernard and Jono from by my end. They lived by me. I went there, put in a few decent performances, some okay performances. Um, put in a, like a really hard working performance against Stockport uh, away. Um, but then Macclesfield got in touch as well because I was only on like a non-contract at, at Chester. Mm -hmm. So it was in my position to say if I wanted to leave or not. Um, so obviously Macclesfield come come around and um, kind of just spoke to the guy there who was really good with me and just, he helped me a lot to be honest. And then I got that over the line and then, I was buzzing. I was like, right, I've got my chance at Mac. I went in with Saul Campbell for two weeks, trialling with him. Gambled, you know, everything I had at Chester with Bernard and Jono because it was a trial. It wasn't a given contract. I just, to, the guy at Maxfield wanted to sign me, but Saul wanted to see me, which is fair enough. I went in for two, three weeks, earned it, got given something. And then I remember going down to Grimsby the day before. It was a Friday night. And I was starting making my first football league start um, after all this mess that I'd gone through. You know, I was thinking, right, I'm in the place where I need to be. All that is just struggle. I've got to where I am. I'm buzzing. It gets announced that I've signed for Macclesfield on the Friday. And then I get a phone call in the morning from my hotel saying, uh, can you come down? Saul wants to speak to you. And I come down and get told that I can't play for six months because I've already played for two clubs and the third club rule. And someone had reported me from whoever, I think it was, not saying names, but, you know, I'd seen the emails and someone had reported me. Um, they put it all through the night before and it was all fine. And then in the morning, 
obviously they'd received an email from someone, don't know who. I'd seen the emails and I know who it, I do know who it is, but I just don't want to say who it is. Yeah. And they basically said, why is he allowed to play for three clubs when this player, this player, this player is not? And it was comparing me to the Tammy Abraham deal, which hadn't even happened. You know, when he was doing, he played for Chelsea in the Charity Shield beginning of the season, went on loan to, was it, where did he, was it Villa? Villa he went, yeah. And then he was going to get Nick a move to Wolves, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And he was comparing, like, well, he's played for three clubs, right? And he can't go to Wolves because of the third club rule. Why is he allowed to play for two clubs, Chester and Telford, and go to Macclesfield? And I was like so prepared, like I was so buzzing. I was on the coach, like I was almost in in tears in a sense when I'd sat there and just thought about like what I'd been through, where I'd got to. Buzzing that I'm on the coach playing for Macclesfield. I'm starting my first game against Grimsby at a decent stadium. I'm buzzing my head off, and then I wake up in the morning and get that news, mm-hmm. and I just broke down, like I broke down for six months and then I thought right, how am I going to pick myself up for six months even though I can't even kick a ball in the game I can just train that's it mm. and I got through that and you know the worst thing about it was I signed at Macclesfield on a contract which was performance based okay. so I was on literally peanuts I was literally on less than minimum wage I gambled everything I had football league club gambled everything I had for less than minimum wage but if I played I started I assisted, we won, the wage would be decent. Mm. So then I've signed this contract and I can't play. I'm stuck on this crap wage for six months. I can't provide for my daughter. I can't provide for nothing. I'm taking loans out to pay bills for the six months I'm there. Because I can't go, I could have left and gone and played for another non league club, which is bizarre because non league rules are different. Yeah. But I thought, why, why do that? Like I've got through all this to get to where I am. Someone's hit me again, like six months, right? Six months, but you know, I've been injured for eight, nine months and you know, I've done this stuff before, at least I can still train. But then the bills and the debt I accumulated from this crappy contract I was on because I couldn't play, started eating away at me and just beating me down to the ground to the point of where like I just it just took over. Mm-hmm. I couldn't play, I couldn't put things right, I couldn't do nothing. And I didn't want to give it up. I didn't want to because I was scared of what the out people would think. Oh, he's just signed for Macclesfield and he's left already. You know, I could have done that, but then I'd just have another club to my CV. So I was like, no, I've got to grind it out. My missus was, you know, supporting me. She was like, just grind it out. You can't just leave again another club. But this is what I mean. People outside don't see the, the you know, the stuff that I've actually been through and how hard it's been for me. And then I got offered a new deal by just you know, getting on soul side and working out and training. And, you know, I got, you know, I was lucky. I'd done well and felt like I deserved it because I did keep my attitude out on the pitch and on training as much as I could. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was struggling for petrol. I couldn't even get in. Like, I was literally at the point where I was that broke. I was going to petrol stations and purposely just saying, filling up and then purposely saying I forgot my car just so I could get into training. Because I didn't want to lose that opportunity of what I had and what I got to. And then, obviously, finding out, like, obviously, I couldn't play for four or five months because of the embargo or whatever when I signed my new deal. But I was still 
lagged back in all this crap from the six months and the debt and this crap contract and not being able to play and just another hurdle and another, you know, like journey that of pain that I have to get myself through just to try and get back on path. Yeah. And it, it, I got to a point and then I found out that I could play at Macclesfield, that, you know, players were playing again. But I was so unfit, like I was so unfit because I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't doing nothing, you know, like you should be doing as an athlete. I was doing none of that. And I was going into training and I was just, a, I wouldn't say I was abysmal. Some days I'd do well and stuff like that. But, you know, I was just never there. And I'm even like, you know, up until recently when I took time off, I said, I'm not coming back in. I'm seeing a counsellor and I got, you know, mental health and spoke about it and stuff. And, you know, that journey at Macclesfield, that time there, it's just been so hard. And on that crap money as well, on that crap money, and then not even getting paid on that crap money on time and waiting seven, eight weeks to just get paid. Yeah. I had debt coming on my door. I couldn't even organise my finances because they want a date of when you're going to pay them back. And we was never given a date to when we was going to get paid. You know, we was two, three weeks getting paid. We was a month behind getting paid. I couldn't give them a date. So I couldn't arrange my finances. So over that time, everything was just building, 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 building. Lost my car insurance. I was driving uninsured to training for three months. I had my car repossessed. You know, everything. And people don't realise what I've actually been through. And, and people are probably, even now, Dawson um, went to Macclesfield, but he couldn't cut the grade. He didn't make the grade. I can make the grade. I know I can make the grade. And I know I can push on and do well. Like, I know I can. But that journey there that affected me, like that's what made me open up to realise what everything had just my whole up until now, you know, I just struggled mentally, emotionally, just from having such expectation from such a young age and not being able to channel my emotions. And then falling in and out of clubs is not because I'm a bad person, just because you know, I just lost I just mentally and I just wasn't there. Like I I just couldn't, I couldn't fix where my head was at. Like I could never fix. I'd let everything beat me down. I was always negative about myself. I would always, you know, in that, and that's it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing because my passion for football is so high. Like I'm still a kid. Like I'll still, I'll still say to the missus, I'm I'm going on the field on my own, and I'll spend six hours on the field on my own, just keeping the ball up. Like that's my love for the game. Like I love it. But the journey just just makes you think, why? You know, like pulls you away from it. And that's one reason why I went into futsal. I was in futsal from a young age, like from a young age, um, a Portuguese geezer who played professionally in Portugal. You know, he was playing for Lisbon as a kid and stuff like that in Porto. And he moved over here. He didn't play professionally in the game, but, you know, he had trials at Chelsea. And he's a lot old, not a lot older than me. Um, he's about... 38, 39. And obviously they're brought up on futsal and futsal wasn't big over here. It was kind of just, um, just, you know, people who enjoyed it made a league out of it and stuff like that. And they got local teams and a lot of the students who study over here from Brazil and from Spain and come to the university over here all know about futsal. So they was the sort of players playing in it. And I kind of just, 
fell into it and I loved it like because futsal for me because you're always playing and you're always involved and you're always on the ball and you're always doing what you want to do that that it just made me it opens that where I can just go and express myself again yeah. and there's no problems because you're not getting paid you know you kind of just go and playing but you're just playing with freedom you're just playing like as you as you should do really enjoying every game and that's that's that over the last apart from Bristol Rovers my happiest moments are probably playing futsal and even now I'm thinking for next year like what can I do because I'd when I was at Southport I got called to go to the England training camp and I asked Kevin Davis at the time could I go and obviously I was getting paid and there was there was doing a couple of days where you go in the morning and then there was doing Tuesday, Thursday night. So there was like full time, but not every day full time. Yeah. And I asked him, could I go? Because I really wanted to go. And I was told I was going to start on a Saturday. He needed me because he was told me I was going to start on a Saturday. And I was like, this is such a big opportunity. I want to go and do it. You know, it's part time. It's National North. Like, you know, like, just let me go and experience this opportunity. It's, you know, I want to do it. And I got told I was starting on the Saturday, this and that. And it comes to the Saturday, they even get on the pitch. They even get on the pitch. You know, and it's just, it's just little things like that where I just felt like, you know, I'd been nice about asking for it. Like, I just needed to go and do that for an experience, you know. To, it was at St. George's where the England training gear and, you know, just if I'd have gone there, it could have opened opportunities for me to go and play for England then and, and do stuff like that. And that's why, because cause I know I can do well in futsal over here and I, and I can play at that level. For I know I can because I'm quite clued up on the game and I you know, watch it and I study it and that's my sort of game or technical, you know, stuff like that. And that's why I, where I've had this time to just take time out, get myself sorted, get my life back on track. I'm just thinking about what makes me happy and what do I want to do. Yeah. So my aim next year is go part-time football, but I want to play futsal because I want to really like push futsal and, and hit that England team and, and start doing that. Because I think if I get that England team and get there, I feel like it's an achievement through everything I've went through. Like just, just yeah. doing something I enjoy and love and it's, football related but it's futsal I feel like I've, 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 I've all that I went through was worthy of something and that's why I want to do that next year but at the same time because I'm I'm so focused now sorry one second <laughs> because I'm so focused now on where I want to go it's kind of like if I do futsal what makes me happy and I go and play in the National North and pick up money playing part-time Tuesday, Thursday and do futsal where I'm allowed to do both mm -hmm. and, and set up my coaching brand and my business sort of thing. I know full well that my football will take off again because I'm, I'm happy within myself and I've been where I've been to and I've built myself up. And obviously I've got opportunities in futsal then to decide whether I want to stick at that and, and do really well in that or if I get playing in off and I do really well and the football club comes in for me I'll be ready for it because of what I've went through so I actually feel like all I went through was kind of to make me as a person and get to know me as a person and you know like where I'm at in my life and I just feel clean of everything 
and it's just been a really tough journey but I don't think I've had any luck like people will see all the clubs and all the opportunities I've had but every club I, I, the big clubs I've had I know there's a lot of clubs but a lot of them have been loans um, from big clubs but in terms of the um, like like for example the Bristol Rovers where my loan couldn't get extended and couldn't play at the playoffs and the whole Berry situation I went there as a kid and then I got left out after swapping to go Liverpool. Um, and it's just been it's just been a really tough like there's just been problems which have not been in my control and the Marcusfield situation. And then obviously the remaining period up until now, I've just not been in a position to play. I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't doing nothing because I was so beaten down by where I'm at now. I'm kind of just cleaning myself up and I'm just focused on what's going to happen. And I think this whole time where the coronavirus and stuff like that. I mean, Luke, aside from you know the rest of the interview, mate, it, it's good to see that you're in a good place because, you know, I, I'll speak from my experience offline. Uh, the editor, I, I left a 25 grand a year job, you know, yeah. to go to Macclesfield because I wanted that career. Um to be told by the manager at the time, I should I should be grateful that I've got a chance under his staff, and you know I wasn't getting paid. You know I, that's I what I mean. I didn't tell my missus; she was pregnant at the time. I had to drive. But you were chasing, but you were chasing what you wanted. Yeah, and I understand that's where I was at. I was always chasing, and that's why I said earlier I was always chasing something and not caring about how I was going to get it or mm. what effects it'd have on me or anyone else around me because. I was so driven to get it mm. and it just ended up going tits up in a sense and just and I understand. It's tough mate and, and I would never wish it on, on my worst enemy to, to go for a period of time and not be paid a wage and you know default on your mortgage or it's just it's just not nice I would never I never wish it on my worst enemy it was awful. No no it's been tough and like you um, said, the only way to get through it all is speaking and just getting it off your chest and it and seeking help, even though you don't think it will help. Because you don't, I never thought it did. I just, PFA pushed me that much to go. Yeah. And they put money into it. You know, I had to go. Yeah. I didn't want to go, but I had to go. And I never looked back since. I'll be honest, I still, from my LinkedIn page, um, I don't know if you're on LinkedIn or Mike, my psychiatrist, I speak to him once a week. Still. He lives in there yeah. now. But, you know, I remember going in, similar to what you said, going into his first session and he jotted all these things down on the board and I come out and went, that didn't help. But then no, I, was, yeah. I was in certain experiences, I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's just how it is. You've got to, you've got to want to... You don't want to, but you've just got to push yourself to go because in the end it will work. Yeah. And you know, people don't when people hit rock bottom, they don't think they'll get out of it by just speaking to someone. You know, they've got all these debts, and then they think, well, how's speaking to someone going to help me with debts or help me with breaking up with my missus? Or you know, just for example, how's that going to help by just speaking to someone? I ain't going to put it right, yeah. but it just opens your eyes up as to say, well know what you can do going forward and it kind of puts gives you stepping stones to take which I took so every session I went she'd 
tell me like what you're going to be doing this week so I'll see you next week and I'm going to do this and then when I'd seen her she'd be like have you done it like, what are you going to do now and it was kind of like week by week but I knew going back to my next session if I if I didn't do what I said I was going to do you know what's the point like you know is she going to think that I'm, I'm I'm an idiot and I'm not trying to you know put myself right I'm not going to be a bum sort of thing but even though you're in that position, you feel in, you feel like you have you have to do something before you see your counsellor the week after. So it might be the smallest thing, but after four and five sessions, these small things become bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. and it ends up just being a weight off your shoulders. Like, wow, I can do this, I can do that. I'm gonna look into that, and straight away you're just open-minded, and you know, and it, like I said, it, you know, she said she don't speak, she don't need to speak to me at the minute. I've still got eight sessions left with her. Okay. And she drops me a text, but I don't speak to her. I don't use my sessions up because she knows that since this time where everyone's off work and the pandemic, she's seen me become, you know, where I want to go and what I want to do. But before that, before we all got stuck inside and stuff like that, I was building up, building up, building up. And it got to a point where I had everything what I wanted to do. And then this time off now, I was kind of just let me set everything up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just helped massively. It's huge. And I'd advise anyone to speak to someone about, you know, just if you need help, like just definitely go and speak to someone. But what I see, what really angered me through the pain, that like the situation I was going through and I was in a mess, was the PFA and the FA won the mental health campaigns. The football clubs have to post about them. It's kind of the league sort of thing. And at that time, Macclesfield were posting mental health. Knowing I was going through shit, but no one could give a you know crap about me. And my mates knew what I was going through. And my mates was going on commenting under that tweet, not mentioning my name, but saying like, you know, you're not even paying players. You don't even care about how you're affecting them. Like, and you're posting how you support mental health. Like, you don't care. You're doing it because you have to. Mm. And that's what really, I was so close to opening up and blowing up on Twitter, you know, at football clubs that that do do that. Mm. And because I know that there's been lads in the dressing room at Macclesfield going through the time I've been there, you know, the young lads especially, you know, they put on an ego, like not an ego as in big time, but, they don't want to look look weak. Yeah. They don't want to look weak. So they act different so they don't look weak. And now me going through what I went through, because I was in that dressing room, the only one that was like really going through it. And I was like, I can't be the only one going through this mess mm. by not getting paid on time, not doing this, and the club just not paying on time. And you know, all the problems that the club had, yeah. and even the players who like players that was injured and not getting paid and they needed an operation and they couldn't get the the club had no insurance to pay for the operation so they were having to find money to pay you know to help them for their career to get back and there was no way that I I was the only person and I, I say it to my missus there's no way that I'm the only one who's in that dressing room that's openly like now in a position to say you know like struggling and it got to a point where the managers did know I was struggling Daryl McMahon who in, knew I was struggling he was really supportive like he always you know really helped me and that I just look back and think there's no way 
that I was the only one. Yeah. But but I was I just felt like because I was the only one and everyone knew my problems, I didn't want to go in. Mm. Because I was the only one who was like, you know, we had a meeting about it. And it, you know, I don't want to say names, but there was a, a member of staff, and he was on, you know, like a, not a great wage, but you know, like not the best wages, and um, he struggled. He couldn't get in, and he was getting in, getting in, and we had a meeting about not getting paid, and it was like two weeks we'd not been paid for, and we all got, remember sat at um, Sandback where we was training, got caught in a meeting with Dahan McMahon, and. Um, one of the lads that said that he's not coming today, lads, just in case you didn't know, because he's really struggling. You know, he's really struggling. He's not coming in because he's really struggling. This was a member of staff. And when one of the lads said that, I popped up and I started speaking, saying, look, Taffer, and I actually broke to the point of where I never broke into tears. And from that one lad mentioning who was close to this member of staff, who was youngish, one of the players who was close to him. From that one lad who, I don't want to say his name, but he's a good mate of mine, and, but I just don't want to, in case, um, him telling me that that person was like that and struggling. If it wasn't for him mentioning that to the group, I don't think I'd have said I was struggling. And then I would have been in a position where the times when I couldn't get into work because I couldn't afford it, I would have felt like I had to get in and I would have, you know, like done, got myself into more debt and accumulated more debt. But because of that one person that, you know, said that someone else is going through the same problems, that member of staff, I felt like I could then. So that's that's how important it is for people to, to speak in a sense. Because I was locking myself up, locking myself up. And because I knew someone else was going through the same thing, I kind of just... And then kind of just said, like, I'm really struggling and I'm really broken to tears. I think I did, you know, break into tears. And all the lads were supportive. Every lad was supportive. Gaffer was sound. Like, I'd text him and say, Gaffer, you know, I can't afford to get in. Can't afford to get in. And he was like, Doss, don't worry about it. No problem. And, you know, just that message off the Gaffer, like Daryl at the time, you know, it helped me a lot because I was so happy that I had that relief where I could just be honest and, and, and not be criticised for it because I was going through it and I didn't want to be judged upon and I, and I think when I did speak to Darrell and let him know about my situation he was you know he was so good and he, he was probably the one where he said if you open the door and you know like I said before come in and speak to me you know I didn't play for him but you know he supported me in that sense of like what I was going through and he, he really kind of took a lot of pressure off me because yeah. he was really good. I live in Stoke, so what, 30 miles away from Mac? And yeah. I was driving halfway, carrying all my equipment to the club and then yeah. doing what I needed to do and then walking back halfway and driving home because I didn't have the money. You know, yeah. nobody sees that. They just see, oh, you've left nine months into a job at a football club. That's it. And that is it. And... It's like, if I was, like, this is the problem I've got now. If I go back into football and I say, Aiden, go and do, you know, go and see if this club or just put my name out on the rotor. Go and put my name out on the rotor. Go and find me. And I write a CV up. 
if I write my problems on that CV of what I, if I basically write down what I've just told you throughout this conversation on a CV, you think too much baggage, like that's too much, can't deal with that, too much. Now, if I just wrote my clubs on a CV, they'd go, oh, he's acid, you know, bad attitude. So I'm in a lose-lose situation. So the only way I'd probably, like like said, it is to be honest and speak up about, you know, and then for some manager to, you know, just have a bit of luck where a manager might go, I went through the same stuff. Yeah. If you're ready, you're ready, come in. And that's probably the only opportunity I've got now is to just let everyone know that, I struggled that bad. I was sleeping in my car. I was sleeping in my car because I couldn't afford to get back and forth on training. I'd drive and sleep in my car. You know, like, I'd sleep in my car just because I didn't have enough fuel. And I was so scared that if I didn't turn up to training and say I couldn't afford to get into training, they'd be like, well, that's your problem. Yeah. That's your problem. We pay you. But you don't pay me, but they'll be like, we pay you. Yeah, you know, that, and and that, and that's what it is, and uh, just it's been a mess, honestly. It's been a mess, and so I, I can't, honest, I can't be the only one, you know. And I know these lads there, but they're just being strong to not show it because of that conversation we had before. Mm. They don't want people to know they've got weaknesses because it'll stop them from playing, or you know, they'll get looked upon different than that. That is the issue, you know. You know that I, is the issue. But if I if I told them about my problems earlier on, would would that have helped me? Probably, yeah, it would have. Yeah. If depends on because it depends who the manager is and depends who's in charge and how they look upon things. Because every manager is different. Every you know they have different ways of dealing with things. Like some people think, oh, we all go through problems. You've got to get on with it and crack on and deal with it. Like old school managers would be like that. And, you know, I don't, I think they just need people in the club who are alongside the gaffer, who are just as important as the manager. All right, yeah, the manager picks the team on whatever. But, you know, in terms of mental state, like I think, like, you know, there should be that, that, that person you can speak to. And the gaffer's got to be alongside of that person who, you know, who looks after the players who might have problems and yeah. make sure that, you know, the decision-making's fair. Like, you know, like, because if a gaffer pulled me into his office and went, Doss, how are you feeling today? And I'm going, I've gone through all this crap and struggling. I've got debt collectors at my doors and stuff like that. But then if that gaffer went, all right, I'm not interested in that, but how are you feeling? Do you want to play? I need you to play. Do you want to play? You know, are you, are you are you mentally like? Do you want to go and release that emotion out on the pitch? Do you want to play? You know, if managers were more like that, then you know. But then again, that side of it, like if you are like that, you're probably not slept. You've not ate, so you're not going to last. You know, like and then all them aspects come into it. So it's such, I, I can understand how difficult it is for football clubs in terms of because all it's all about results and winning and you know they get. Gate get fans through the gates at low clubs if you're winning and doing well, some more receipts, and you know, it's a cycle of things. But there needs to be something where players feel like they can talk, but it's not going to affect you know the career or 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's just a thing in football where 
because football is such a mentality game as well like it's more it's, it's mentality and it's obviously physical and technical but the mentality side of the game is so hard that if you've got a problem you know to perceive to not be ready to play and or do your job as if you no matter what line of work you are in a football club like I just feel like it's hard to explain, but the, what I went through and obviously what you've been through, it's just like there needs to be some sort of platform where you can speak to people and it not affect you because I'm telling you, the way kids are as well now growing up and the money that's being thrown at kids at 16, 17 to go and play for Chelsea and on five, ten grand a week without even kicking oh. a football in men's football, you know, and if I was 16 and were giving 10 grand a week, I'd have gone off the rails. Like, the situation, you know, most people would. Mm-hmm. And when that contract runs out and they've pissed all that money up the wall because they don't know what to do with it at such a young age, or they might probably have a bit of guidance, but, oh, you're not going to get a new deal at Chelsea. You know, you've been on five grand a week from 16 till 23. And then you've got to go to Macclesfield to kickstart your career on 400 quid a week. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, no fucking chance. Do you know what I mean? You're going to say no chance. I'm not going there because of where you've been at and the amount of money that's been thrown. You've been living that start life of a footballer. There's so many of them who, who stay at them big clubs that are 24, like 15, 20 grand a week and not kick to first team football. And they go out on loan and they can't even get get a game on loan and they're on more money than all them like plays in the championship and yeah. league one and league two and they're not even getting on the pitch and they're on double the wages and it's bizarre and I think that needs to be put into place you know in terms of if you want good English talent to come through the ranks and progress into the you know breakthrough because I think there's so much money being thrown at kids and at the parents to get them to go to that club like I was speaking to someone I know who, you know, coaches and he was saying basically like, not not a professional club, but he runs like an academy and, you know, all scouts take these players from this academy and he was saying the amount of clubs that bargain the parents the money to get them to go to that club and stuff like that, you know, it's just, it's not right in terms of where you want to go as a kid, like just to follow your dream and just progress. There's no help for when you fall off. And I think that is something that, especially with all the money that's in football, there's got to be something where people can pay to help because it's just going to get, I feel like it'll get worse because of the money that's in football. And and obviously the clubs like Macclesfield who are struggling, they'll probably bury who can't afford to survive. Like they're on, you know, they're on strings to survive. And what's going to happen when all these clubs start folding and then, there's going to be no clubs for these players to drop to, you know, and earn a living eventually because of the amount of money that's not getting filled down to help. Mm-hmm. And it just shows, because if you look at Berry, they got, they got, was it this season they got told they couldn't? This yeah, it was, it was just after Christmas, wasn't it? Or just before but Christmas? This, so this season they, they, they get told that they're not allowed to be part of the football league and they forward and go into administration and all that. But yet there's five League two clubs on the verge of falling into that bracket. Mm-hmm. Now, what what the PFA going to do? Help them five clubs, but they didn't help Barry. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? So if they help them five clubs, I genuinely believe there's a case for Berry to be reinstated into the league because the season's not finished. You know, like, it's a, if they cancel the seasons, then what difference does it make, you know? Well, that's what and they, my argument is. If if the season's null and void, yeah, and, so and they take all the results out, Berry should be reinstated next year. That's what, that's my... That's hasn't my, happened. That, that, well, that's how I feel because clubs are going to need help mm. and the PFA and the FA are probably going to help them because if there's that many clubs needing help, it's going to mess the whole system up in terms of the division. Yeah. You know, if, if, if six clubs go forward in, in League Two, for example, how are they going to promote clubs from the North, from the conference, relegation? Like, How is it all going to work? So the only way to do it is just nullify it all, draw a line, cancel it, and just put everyone back at ease when the season starts and help everyone. Because I just I just can't believe the Barry situation like growing up and it, it baffled me. And then just to see what's happening now in this situation, if like you said, then if it's void, all decisions are void, aren't they? So that decision should be void. You know, you're looking at them and they're saying null and void, no promotion, no relegation, and all their history records are gone. They yeah. can't have the results. So if you're doing that in League Two, surely that's the same for Berry, and they should have the chance to be reinstated. Exactly, and it's a big, it's a long-serving club as well. Like, you know, I know there is in a lot of debt, and whatever the owners have riddled them into, and whatever that went on, and all that, you know all the stuff that went on about that but as as a club and as a community there's got to be something you know like with that, we had this conversation all the time but for Barry's history and you know the community like forget the owners forget the greed alright yeah liquidate the club but the council on the ground you know like oh, like that doesn't change anything you can just keep Barry as Barry mm. you know and, and just like I said if you're going to so like Phoenix Club, for example, you know, if if you, if you get a Phoenix Club at Berry, they're probably going to have more fans than they was getting on a Saturday now than there was when they was in the league because everyone's going to be one of the supporting the new Berry. Yeah. So if Berry got reinstated, they're going to have more fans through the gate. They've got a stake killing. You know, that Phoenix Club, let Berry be Berry and just do it that way. If it's void, obviously... Teams like Chester would have an argument if the season wasn't void and stuff like that because they got liquidated and had to build the way back up. But like you said, there's no if everything's void, then this is this is a completely different situation, and this is a global pandemic, not a financial one. If that makes sense. That's what I mean. And it's like Premier League clubs still saying to us like we're we're having to fill in. Even me and all the lads are having to fill in a football like just how you're feeling each week and reporting back to the club so they can report it back to the EFL. So if you've got symptoms, if you're not, are you the same as last week? You know, are you okay? Because yeah. they're, they're going to try and finish the season. They're going to try and finish the season. And it's like, well, if you try and finish the season, next season is just going to be a bizarre. It's just going to be just as chaotic because, you know, you're going to play all the way through pre-season and what what they're going to have to basically do is this time we've had off now is going to have to be a break mm-hmm. and you're going to have to play all the way till the end of the season this year when it finished or it'd be finished now anyway wouldn't it you'd have to play through pre-season and then 
the week had finished and then next Saturday it'd just have to be a case of the new season. Yeah. And you'd have to play till the end of to get it back right. But my lads aren't fit, you know, injuries, all sorts of stuff. Like you're gonna have to go back and play three games a week. And and like you say, there's there's been fit and then there's been match fit, isn't there? And there's nothing you're gonna have to do. That's what I mean. You have to do a week or two weeks of preseason anyway. It's. I know it's probably a little bit different. We've we've had to provide our eldest school with an answer yeah. where they go yeah. back. You know what they've turned around and says over the next six weeks they're going to do two days of educational stuff. The rest will be psychological and welfare. And I've said, well, why is she being used as a guinea pig? She can do that at yeah. home. So yeah. we're keeping her off. You know, she- yeah, we said that. We said that because it said in nursery as well where they have to go out and play, but they have to have the two-yard box or whatever. Have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, we, well, we showed the pictures to my eldest because she's quite an emotional soul anyway, if I'm honest. Yeah. And we showed it, and she burst out in tears because she wouldn't see her mates. So we've said that. Nah, Luke, plan to go back in September. I'm not. I'm not putting her through that. I, I want her to get get through this, and you know, when she's up, got kids or grandkids, to say. COVID-19, I loved it because I spent time with my mum and dad. I don't That's want to, it. I went to school and it was horrible. And you know what? I don't know if you're self-employed or are you, are you working at the minute? Or? I, the whole thing with Mac put me back. So Was you, you know, there this year? No, 2017 I was there. Oh, right, okay. I, I went in just after they lost in the FA Trophy final. Yeah. Um, left January 2018. But it put me back because of debt and, you know, I had to go out and yeah, go. I've been working in a call centre doing sales, mate, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not a bit knocking it. It's not for me, but, you know, I, I left the army on a high after 12 years with constant success, which is, you know, why I, I appreciate your story so much. You know, you get built up and built up and then all of a sudden come out and it's totally. like, I'm I, I can see, like, like you're doing your podcast and stuff, like you know, this is like a, a new thing, like a thing you want to do, in it? So, obviously, it's like you know, make something of that, like that's what you're trying to do. And I understand, I understand honestly. I was working in a warehouse, um, when was it about three years ago in the pre season? Because obviously, mm-hmm. when you go to a part time contract, they don't pay you through the summer. Yeah. So I was having going to work, wear a workout like, just to provide over the summer for the little one and missus. And I remember turning up and um, they pulled this lorry into the bay thing and it was noodles in this long, it was so long lorry. And they come from China and it was noodles and they were stacked individually, like a shoe-sized box. It yeah. wasn't on a crate. They were just stacked in the back of this long ass lorry individually, and I had to take them off. And this, I had to start at half seven, I think it was, and it had to be all off the wagon for half 12. And there was three of us. And honest to God, I went, it, that was it. I went training with, it was before I actually signed for Telford because I was training with Chester as well yeah. before I signed. So in pre season, it was. And I remember going to Bernard and John saying, oh, I feel fucked. I can't go running around and running track today. My back is in bits. I said, I'm not going back. And then I would have one day and never went back. They paid me 70 quid for the day. I got it a few days later. And I never went back. It just always wasn't for me. And, you know, I'd rather make something of nothing. 
than do something that makes me unhappy. So I'd rather go without and push something to work mm-hmm. or do something that, that you want to do and make it work, do the best you can to make it work and and I just have a shot at doing different things like trying to make that work. If that doesn't work, try and just basically become your own boss. I don't like working for people. You know, I hate the way people are treated. Like I don't like the way there's this sense of power that you work for me and you do as I say. And it's not that I get, you know, that that's the way the world is, but you know, if you're not happy and someone's drilling into you every day that you have to do something you don't want to do it and then you're doing it to the best of your ability and they ignore you and they speak to you like shit and you don't get no praise for the work you've done or no bonuses on just nothing and you're getting a minimum wage for doing shit. You know, I just I'd rather I'd rather struggle for a few months and push it somewhere. And that's even though I'm getting paid now, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm getting paid now and this like so this COVID time, I'm just pushing this skill tech stuff. So I don't know if you see my Instagram, I'm basically like just doing a load of like skill tutorials and stuff like that. And I've called it skill tech and I'm gonna set it up as a coaching when we can go out. I'm getting a website built at the minute. But I've been looking in China and, you know, like, so when you go on for direct and mm-hmm. all, like, the sporting equipment, so, like, the poles, the cones and, and stuff like that are all branded by certain things. I want to make skill tech into, like, a sort of a brand and a coaching thing. But it'll take time, but that's what I mean. That's why I'm just doing all these videos and pushing it and create a following at the minute just so when COVID is finished and we can go back outside, I've got all this interest that people are asking me now that I can just launch the website and launch stuff and kind of hit the ground running, which is a sense like you're doing with the podcast like you said now. Yeah, it's just basically, it's literally my Instagram. It's just all my videos. So there's a couple on there from me playing in the past and playing futsal and stuff. But I, when I was at Liverpool, I had a guy come from my axe and Liverpool employed him. And he was a technical skills coach. So he'd come in and certain players would obviously suited his sort of coaching would go with him mm-hmm. and there'd be one or two of you out on the grass for like two three hours and it'd be the most basic things ever but it was all skills so it'd be like step overs turns but it was so repetitive all the time constant 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 repetitive stuff like turns the cross turns and then step overs and then drags and all split flaps even the stuff you don't really see in games like only at the highest level but all ball mastery stuff yeah and that's why I have got such a good academy and they're known for technical players because Liverpool employed him to come over to us and he was just so like and ever since I had him I was like if I ever go into coaching that's the sort of stuff I want to do so obviously this time out so I've just been uploading skill tricks like mad skill tricks you never some of them you never do in a game because you can't do them in a game yeah. but you know you have to master the ball to do it so you know it's all ball mastery stuff but obviously mastering the ball will help you in game situations where you're controlling and stuff and all sorts of stuff so i kind of want to eventually go into that but because of the well i've had it for about 10 days and i've been battering the videos editing the videos and doing them properly and I've got like two and a half thousand followers after 10 days. Wow. So it's kind of like taking off. So that's why I'm thinking, do I make it into a brand and, and you know, do it? Like just looking at different things I can focus on. And that's why this time off, 
can just sit down and every day I can just think of ideas and just jot. Well, do you think after this, mate, there's going to be such a demand for people to have like one-to-one sessions? What, yeah, what do you do for them? But that's what I mean. I've had so many requests now, like asking me, like, because the kids are bored in the house and, you know, people are doing coaching and are still doing one to one sessions. Like, I've seen it happening. Um, but I think this time for me is just to create so much attention as I can mm-hmm. to my branding name and my coaching name and, and use my, obviously, playing as a professional or whatever and using that as a big thing which helps with you know getting people in and just doing stuff like that and battering it in terms of creating it as an awareness so then when when we can go outside you know like my facebook will be one that's at the top when someone types in football paging because it's had all the clicks and the links and you know the, the website clicks and all that lot building so that's the sort of thing I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to build everything. So then when I do say, right, I'm doing one-to-one, I'm selling this on my website, I'm doing that. Mm. I could have 5,000 people following me, which mm. will click on that website or buy something or want to do the coaching. So I'm kind of set up for it. Um, but then like the futsal situation as well, like, you know, play for England next year and do that and use that as an advantage for my coaching and my mm. one-to-one and my skill tech and stuff like that because there's a you know the amount of kids that want to learn and play football nowadays is so many but I feel like they get put into the wrong stuff at the wrong age yeah. you know they get put into academy systems at nine years old and stuff like that and it's like you know there's 50 kids to one team you're playing once every two weeks or whatever three weeks and better off just playing with your dad with your mate's dad's team and a little Sunday Saturday league team and playing every week and scoring, you know, five goals a game or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I, you I, don't get you don't I, get that enjoyment. You become a robot. robot. That's it. Exactly. You become a robot, and you get told how to play. You get the lower you go as well. You do. You get told how like the higher you go, obviously, because you're up there because you're so good mm-hmm. that you can win the game and your decision making like you're a little bit of magic and wicked top things or whatever but the lower you go obviously you're more robotic as to how a team wants to play and the managers are all they seem to be all I don't say this is a bad thing but they seem to be a lot more old school older and British and Scottish the lower you go Mm -hmm. and when I've had foreign managers the foreign managers, like Rodolfo, when I was at Liverpool at that time, he knew how to speak. He knew individually every player he had, even though it was, you know, he knew each player he had. And Roberto Martinez as well. He knew, like, Victor Moses, he was like, a, you know, a bit of an ego at Wigan. And he knew how to get the best out of because he knew how to speak to him differently to someone else. Yeah. And I just feel like there's more compassion from these foreign managers when you bring them in especially to players who all have egos and they all want to play and stuff like that you've just got to be able to manage your players and I think some reason and you understand like Pep as well like how how can you have Mares sitting on the bench and being happy about it Sane and mm-hmm. Jesus and Aguero how can how, how, how can they be happy they could go to any team and play every week 
you know, yeah. how, but they all want to play for Pep. So he must be doing something to make them feel good about themselves and make them feel wanted. It's yeah. when, I say, I feel the lower you go, the managers become more intimidating, you know? The old British, like, isn't it? The old that, DNA. Oh, the, yeah, oh, the gaffer's here. Oh, shit, the gaffer's here. That sort of thing. The gaffer's here. Be quiet. Oh, the gaffer's here. Stop messing about. You know, that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. the power. But, at the end of the day, you're all humans. You're all there because you all love football. So, yeah. why can't you be a friend with the manager? Why can't you be pally with a gaffer? Like, why can't you have a joke with a gaffer? You know? If, if, if you know the gaffer and the gaffer knows you, surely that's going to make you not want to let him down on the pitch on a Saturday because you want to fight for him. It's funny you, know? you say that, mate, because I've, I've done the under-12s for two years at Vale. And last year, I went thinking, like, I'm the boss, da-da-da, all that. This year, I've, I've taken a person-centred approach. So little questions when, you know, when this 11-year-old walks to training, how's school been? How's your journey? Yeah. What have you been up to? The returns I've got from him have been fantastic. But the kids, this is what I mean, the kids, and, and that's where I fell off. Because whenever I had, Joy, you know this is going to sound like I'm a little kid here, but do you know the littlest things like walking out onto the training ground mm-hmm. and the gaffer coming up to me and just putting his arm on my shoulder and pulling me to one side? Even though I didn't play that weekend or didn't get as much game time as I wanted, him putting his arm around my shoulder saying, just be ready, Doss. Come on. I need you. Be ready. Being pally about it, being nice about it, made me go into training Buzzing. a total different player rather than feeling shit. Like, and just a little arm on the shoulder or you walk past him in the corridor and it's like, good morning, Doss. How are you? You know, how are you, Doss? A simple, like, human things like, how are you? Hello. You know, like, stupid little simple things but them little things like that made me feel like I was Ten foot tall. Unbeli- unbelievable. Yeah, like, because managers don't speak to players who are not wanted, and that is the problem. Mm. When, ma- when managers don't want a player, not because he's a bad lad, but because he might not be good enough or he doesn't suit the way he plays or whichever way, they don't speak to him because they feel that they need to brush him out of the club so they can bring more money in to get someone they want that can play into his style of play. Yeah. Um, he, like that's the that's that's the thing. Like the situations I've had when when I've been in that position. Like to be fair to Mickey Mellon, I went into Mickey Mellon when it wasn't working at Tramway, yeah. and I said, "Can I go out on loan? Can I go out on loan?" He was like, "Yeah, go and get game time. You need to play those. Like I know whatever you know, it's not working out here, but you know you need to just go and play games and, and get and get back to how you was. Get back fit. Get back sharp and." That's how he was with me in, in, the, in his room when I spoke to him, you know. And, but then other places, you don't get that. And a lot of managers do not speak to you. And then that's when you just see yourself go under and under and under and under. And then when your contract finishes, it's like you've got to find something from somewhere to get over that. And I know that's life. But at the same time, why should you have to be made to feel so low mm. to just for someone to, it's, it's crazy, it's hard, they make you feel so low so that you're pushed out and you move on, but then they're not, they're not realising the effect that that has on you, because if you're committed to a club, I've just, for example, I've just signed down south, 
and I go and they don't work out. And I've just moved my family, my kids down there. She's settled in a new school. Yeah. And this manager doesn't think I'm a manager just got sacked, a new manager comes in. He don't think he don't like me. He pushes me out and pushes me out to the point of I'm not going anywhere, Gaffer, because my kids are here, my family's here. Then it becomes toxic because you, you you're not going anywhere. Mm. The owners to the gaffer like, why am I paying him a wage and he's not even making the Saturday? Why don't you just get him out? Or he won't move. He won't move. He don't want to go anywhere. So they don't take the life out of like football is football to everyone. Like it's just football. There's no life around it. You know, so when you're out of that environment, there's just no life around it, and that is that is that. That is the problem, and that is why mental health and football has just gone because people just can't cope with it's kind of bullying in a sense, you know. It is if that was anywhere else, you get them done for bullying, but in football, you can just get away with it because it happens all the time. It's a thing because people go, That's football. Well, no, it's That's not. That's it, you know. That's it. That is it, and like you're saying, when you're speaking to the kids, like, I, I just Love it when I hear things like that because, like, as kids, like, you know, I always look back now and think the happiest times I had playing football was when no one cared. Mm. You wasn't judged. You just told to go and play, enjoy yourself, you know, and, and that's when you get the best out of people when, when you're honest with each other, yeah. you know, and when, you, when you're not honest with people, like you said, like, you know, like, working for someone who's just fucking don't appreciate the work you're putting in and what you've been through and where you've come from. And then, no, it's just like, how how can people just be so narrow-minded? And it's all about that at the end of the day. And how can people, that's, it's all about themselves. And mm. that's just a sad world we're living in. It, but that's society though at the minute. Everybody's yeah. themselves, you know, and that's why I struggled. I'd, that I came from a military background where everybody has got your back. And yeah. then sudden, come out to this big bad world, and everybody wants stab you in the back. But you left on the front line just to fight yourself, in it, in a sense, when you come back. No, but mate, do you know what, mate? I could talk to you all night, but I'm really conscious it's ten o'clock, and I've taken two hours of your time. Just, just to wrap up the sort of um, the chat that we've had today, it's been a great insight into your experiences to date. What advice would you give to young players wanting to get a career in the game? Just be persistent. I. One, one, I just feel like one person's opinion doesn't define a player. You know, you go through the systems, you get told you're not good enough for whatever reasons. That's just one person. You know, there's a million coaches and thousands of clubs. You know I mean, everywhere there's opportunities in football. And that's one thing I figured out. When you hit rock bottom, don't worry about it. Just be persistent. If you're persistent and believe in yourself that you can turn it around and you just stick to just playing football and keeping fit, you know, you've got half a chance. But don't ever, ever give up because one person said, you're not right for me. You know, that's the biggest thing I can say to any kid growing up. Just don't take it with a pinch of salt and just move on and keep cracking on and just fight it. That's, that's great advice uh, and something I'm certainly going to take on board. Look, I really appreciate we've taken up some of your time tonight. Um, and just to finish off, and I say the quick fire question around it never really is yeah. quick fire. Um, football or futsal? Futsal. Crazy as it sounds, futsal. Best friend in football? Um, you know what? I've had that many clubs. I couldn't say I've got a best friend in football. I've, I've, you know, I've 
there's people I can speak to still, you know, are always there, but I think I have my own people around me where I kind of keep them my close people and, you know, I speak to them. But there's a lot of good good people and best friends and, and stuff like that. But I just I just have my own group of people. Um but you know, I have a lot of good friends in football. Um but I've had that many clubs I can't tell you who he is because if I look back down the line, I'd probably remember that person that he was class and then he was class. So, you know. Next question then, toughest opponent. Oh, toughest opponent. Um, I'm just trying to pop in the camera. I'm trying to think. I'm not no, the toughest opponent, probably when I was at Wigan and we played United in a reserve game and they fielded Pogba, Ravel. Jesse Lingard, everyone. Um, and I think I was playing against Fabio's. Remember the twins at United, Fabio? And um, yeah, I was, I play, he was playing one of the full back sides, and I was playing on the wing against him, and he was just hard as nails. I think he'd definitely be, be yeah, him, definitely him. I can't remember his name, Fabio's brother. Were they both called Fabio? I can't remember, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it was his brother. It wasn't the one that played all the time. It was his brother before he got ships off. But he was um, he was hard as nails, and he just kept racking my ankles, and I was just like, "Get me off!" <laughs> Didn't want to carry on. <laughs> um, best, best trainer, hardest working. Hardest, hardest trainer. Oh, hardest trainer. There you go. It's hard to think. There you go. Um, one sec, Carl. <laughs> this is on your podcast, isn't it? So I'm trying to just the uh, hardest trainer. Ooh. Um, there's been so many busy players, though. You know, like the busy, busy players who run around and just run around and run around. Um, trying to think. Brain's going like good. Um, I'm killing your podcast there because you're taking up so. No. Um, no, if I if I say, you know, Hamza Chidauri, you know, he's at Leicester. Yeah. Him, I'd say because obviously it was a while ago, but I remember he was a lot younger than me, and we was training one time, and he come up. Some of the under sixteens had come up, and we was in the twenty ones. Obviously, so he's a bit younger than me, and um, just this kid with this afro this big afro and every time I get it he's just a 16 year old racking my ankles he's running everywhere and he's tackling me knee high snapping my ankles I was fuming and obviously he got pushed on and pushed on and started getting involved with the 23s at 16 but obviously look at him now he's obviously that sort of player in the Premier League for Leicester where he just hacks down the midfield and he's running and running and running but I remember that when I was 21 thinking I'm the man at Leicester and then there's a 16 year old just hacking my ankles not realising you know how it's going to plan out and he's there and I'm here so I'd have to say him because he'd come up a few times and he was always just hacking people everywhere so best player you've played with best player I've played with does that include training with the first team at Leicester or yeah yeah any player that you've a play that you've you've stood down on the pitch and gone, wow. It'd have to be either Ravel Morrison 
He was, you know, he crazy what he used to do. And you know, Anthony Knocker at Leicester. Okay. He he was just different level. He he, he always worked hard in training as well. To be fair to him, but he was very good in training and in, obviously in games as well. And Riyad Mahrez as well. So, <laughs> been a few. Some big names there. Best, yeah. best moment in football to date. Best moment would be, except Bristol, that, that time I had at Bristol Rovers when we was chasing Barnet, they were top of the league and we was a few points adrift in January, like 10, 12 points adrift. And we just went on a running streak mm. and ended up, finished still finishing second, obviously then, you know, and ended up getting a promotion on my CV because I played over so many games for them. And, but just that time, uh, that was my best moment though. Describe yourself in three words. Um, three words. Oh, how would I? Um, <laughs> this has stumped a few people, to be fair. Confident. Confident. Um, bit. Um, bit stupid at times. Um, and how do you how do people answer this? Confident, I say confident, not very like clever in terms of like um, what's the word? In is it intellectually? Like is that the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm good with like with speaking to people. I know how to do stuff like that. But just like brains on stuff outside of football, I'm not very good <laughs> up on like how stuff just. Yeah. Bit stupid, and then third one probably kind of a good caring person. I'd say like I'm just a want the best for everyone. So I'd probably say don't hate on an all one, and just want everyone to just do well. Really confident, stupid, caring. Yeah, yeah. that's all right, isn't it? We'll take that. No worries. Um, is there anybody you would recommend or like to hear on our podcast? Oh, um, football coming on. Andy Mangan. Okay. You heard Andy Mangan? Not know, but he's at Tranmere. Okay. Uh, he's at Fleetwood with Joey Barton. I think that he works in the academy or is part of the coaching staff. The mm. most hilarious, hilarious man in football you'll ever ever meet. Yeah, definitely. Mangs. I'll get in touch with him. Add. I, I want to say thank you, firstly, for taking the time to speak to us. But second, yeah, no problem. Speaking so openly and, you know, candidly about your experiences. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm adamant that there's going to be a lot for, for young players to take from today's chat. And it's great yeah. for you that you're in, you're in a good place now, mate. And, you know, you're safe and well with the family. Obviously, we'll keep in touch. Um, 100%. For everything that you do, mate, with Skill Tech, um, I wish you all the best and, and stay yeah. safe. No, I appreciate it. And, and honestly, stay in touch. And, uh, you know, I, I needed I needed something like this as well for me to speak to you. So um, I've, I've really appreciated you letting me come on and um, speak to yourself about it. So it's been good. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you ever so much. Top man. Take care. Stay in touch. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can follow Adam's new venture on Instagram with the handle at Skill Tech Coaching. 
Ball mastery videos and tutorials will be uploaded for budding ballers to enhance their love of the ball and much more. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the content that we're trying to bring to you. Don't forget, new episodes will be released every Monday. You can find us on the iTunes store, Spotify, and if you want to see the video, you can see it on our YouTube channel, PCT Football Coaching.